didn't even answer the damn question. Complex calculus problems, no cookie monsters. You know, it's 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 that old school thrash sort of. I want to do that. I want to make that noise. I want to do that. You know, Colorado is is, is very quickly becoming. An, um, I think a major player in the national scene. The first one I think you would get from most people is, you know, why are they so angry? Hello and welcome to In the Springs, episode number 72. I'm your host, Ryan Lowry. Thank you for tuning in. On today's show, I sit down with metal bass player Nick Shangelis. Nick was playing one of his first shows with Thrash Metal Monsters Havoc out of Denver, Colorado. Nick also holds down full-time bass duties with Denver-based Cephalic Carnage, as well as Job for a Cowboy, both killer death metal bands in their own right. This episode was recorded on November 8th in the basement at the legendary Black Sheep right here in Colorado Springs. Without further ado, sit back and enjoy because Nick Shangelis is in the Springs. I can hear myself. You sound so excited. <laughs> it's good. It's the beginning of the tour, you know. I'm just getting been on the road for, or haven't been on the road in a while. So yeah. Stoked. So is this the start of? Yeah. Know, more getting out stuff. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, been off for. I mean, I've done some stuff. You know, like we went to Columbia with Cephalic earlier this year, and then uh, Maryland Death Fest with Cephalic. A um, couple other things with Cephalic last year. We did like uh, Neurotic Death Fest in Holland, stuff like that. Nice. It's been real short one-off you yeah. know, stuff or maybe two, three shows. So this is the first like time I'll be out on the road in, you know, probably since 2013 with uh, Job for Cowboy. Gotcha. Uh, and then they, you're heading out with Havoc. Yep. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. All right. Yeah. All right, Nick. Well, we're going to start at the start, man. Start at the start. So we'll do, uh, first of all, Nick Shangelis. Whoa. How'd you, know, how'd you do that? <sighs> I'm so excited. You must I have watched that. some videos of me pronouncing I it watched so exa- That's exactly what I did. <laughs> I was like, there's no way. <laughs> and not only that, I wrote it out like phonetically oh, here. Oh, nice. So Shangelis. So yeah, like, like you're right. jealous of your shit. I got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's awesome, dude. All right. So Nick with, uh, currently anyway, with Havoc. Correct. And also Cephalic Carnage. Correct. And Job for a Cowboy. Yep. All three currently now, active bands are you some sort of robot or do you not <laughs> sleep or i mean yeah. how, how do you balance that even a little bit sure um you know it's really kind of more of um one of those things where um yeah i started out with cephala carnage and that was about seven eight months of touring a year and then um our drummer decided to have a kid and he wanted to pull back on the touring so we found some other guys that were that were down to tour but as the uh guitarists started moving up in the pro audio world uh they're both uh really good sound guys one of them work, they both work for like uh Colorado Symphony and stuff like that oh nice so as they started moving up in the sound world their desire to maintain a, a rigorous tour schedule sort of declined so we ended up only being out like you know two months out of the year or something like that and I, I'm like I want to be a full-time musician that's why I got into this so so um, I was doing some sort of like side work, uh, studio work, that kind of stuff. And I hooked up with John Rice from Job for a Cowboy. Okay. And we hit it off because um, I had toured with uh, Job for a Cowboy's uh, guitarist, Al, before uh, when he was in Despised Icon. Um, Cephalic Carnage and Despised Icon did a European run together. And so we got along really well. And then uh, John and I got along really well. And then like a month later, um, Brent the uh, bass player from Job for Cowboy um, just left in the middle of a tour. So Charn hit me up and he was like, hey, do you want to drum 
or up drum for us. And I was like, I can't drum, you know, but I'll try. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So then I, um, so he's like, you want to play bass? Um, we've got like studio time booked that we, you know, it's, it's booked and we can't bail on it. So do you want to do an EP with us? And then we've got like a between the bear to me tour. Um, and then we can kind of feel it out. And I was nice. Like, cool. Now was that summer slaughter a couple years ago or? So this was actually 2011. Okay. Um, and, uh, it just so happened that job and Cephalic had the same booking agent at the time. And both bands are really good friends with between the bear to me. So between the bear to me also asked, uh, Cephalic Carnage to go out on it. And I was already doing it with job for Cowboy, So I got to do double duty. So my first tour with job was also with Cephalic. No which was, kidding. So which, you were doing both sets. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Back to back. It was cool. It was really fun. It was a really good time. That was probably one of my favorite tours. So then, um, yeah. So, um, so they all worked out with job and everything was cool. We got along and they're like, Hey, do you want to, you know, we're, we're not trying to step on Cephalic's toes, but if Cephalic isn't going to be that busy and you want to maintain a full schedule, we'll work around the schedules. Gotcha. So we just kind of weave in and out, um, tour wise. And then, uh, as it comes to 2013, so we did summer. We did a bunch of great tours with Job. We did um, Summer Slaughter. We did um, uh, some European runs. We did some uh, with Dying Fetus. Did uh, like a Russian tour, Japan, um, all kinds of stuff like that. And then, sort of a similar situation, we did Mayhem 2013, which was amazing. And then, um, and then our singer from Job kind of wanted to get into Day Job Land and have a kid and do all the same thing that the drummer from Spalik wanted to do. Gotcha. So then that touring, you know, dropped off. So then I'm back to like, you know, two months a year or something. So then I, naturally, uh, Cephalic and uh, Havoc had toured together a few times. We'd known each other a lot. I mean, Havoc, you, you know, way back in the day, Havoc used to play all our Cephalic Carnage, like uh, vape fests and stuff. And we always loved them. And then we toured together. And, um, they're really cool dudes and um dave and i are really good friends and we were hanging out two three days a week anyways so he had some some bass issues come up and he's like hey i know you want a tour and i know job's not really doing anything and cephalic's not really doing much he's like do you want to you know play with havoc and i was like hell yeah nice so that was a long convoluted way of describing how, how you ended why up I'm in here. the basement yeah. here <laughs> so and, you know and uh, sort of a, i didn't even answer the damn question but <laughs> so yeah so basically um Havoc is sort of the the busy band right now. That's the main one that I'm out touring with. Gotcha. Um, Job for a Cowboy may or may not, I can't say or not, <laughs> but have some some dates coming up, which is going to be cool. Nice. And then Cephalic is putting on, we're working on another record and stuff. So it's sort of just like, there's not, it's not busy time for those other bands. So in the meantime, I do Havoc and then just kind of work around schedules. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I mean, so just from a technical standpoint, the, um, the Havoc uh, situation that you're in right now, that was like a month ago that right. this became official. So how... How do you familiarize yourself with their catalog? I mean, obviously you're fans of them and you know their music sure. and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. I mean, what has that grind been like for you just to get up to speed to, yeah. to play with them? Yeah, it's been it's been uh, it's been fun. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, it it's basically just um, you know Dave would show me a few songs you know in person on the guitar. I'd maybe videotape him playing the stuff because um, it takes kind of a long time to you know sit with the guitarist and be like no three two five no three two seven five and then your brain is like learning new patterns right away it's kind of like learning math problems yeah you know and your brain's sort of like uh you know i, I do better at it where i can just like so i've got a couple a method basically where i learn when i'm trying to learn a bunch of a band's catalog really fast um and that is basically um i'll use like a i've got a couple programs on my computer where I'll, i can take the track and i can s slow it down um, to maybe, you know, 80% speed, as low as 80% speed, um, and it doesn't affect the pitch. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I can slow the track down, and then it's got a loop 
option. So I can set the loop at the start of the song. And you know, I can, I can set a loop as, as few as three notes if I'm trying to figure out these three notes and then expand the loop out yeah. until I can play, I'm playing a quarter of the song and then just keep expanding out until I'm playing the whole song and then just keep running the whole song. Um, interesting thing for me about doing the Havoc stuff is that it is a lot more traditional song structures than Job for Cowboy or Small right. Carnage, which are, you know, complex calculus problems. Um, and so uh, where I found that it wasn't exactly as, as hard to learn the actual riffs, um, but to learn the structures because there is repetition. Gotcha. You know, it's like part A, part B, part C, part D, repeat part B, yeah. half of part C, back to part A. So keeping the structures separated has was has been the, the challenge. Where which was interesting. and Jobs got a lot more time change and, yeah, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. It, there's so much... Um, non-repetition with those songs that they're they're easily identifiable yeah. like you couldn't mistake this part for another song because it's so wacky and you know yeah non-repetitious uh, or whatever that it's sort of like you know it's like the weirder a character is the easier they are to remember right right you right. Know what i mean yeah. so it's kind of that type of a thing so but it's been really cool though and it's it's great and um i'm having fun the like last two nights finally feel comfortable with the songs where i can start playing around and moving stuff around and putting some of my personality into the lines. Too, nice. So, yeah. Well, I think you kind of answered the question, but I think arguably Job and Cephalic are more kind of on the death metal Definitely. side of things. Mm -hmm. And then Havoc is more just straight up thrash. Yep. I mean, so other than kind of the time signatures, what, what are the kind of to the lay person, what would be the major differences between the Job and Cephalic camp versus the Havoc hmm. camp? Great question. Um, I think that um, biggest noticeable difference, no cookie monsters. Um, you know, Job and, and uh, Cephalic are primarily, you know, what makes death metal identif identified as death metal is, yeah. that, you know, you having a, a cookie monster on your on your record. Yeah. Um, Cephalic, we do, we mix a bunch of other stuff too. There's some, uh, you know, singing, singing and sort of the kind of pitched um, screams type gotcha. of a thing. Um, but that, I think, would be the biggest difference, you know, for anybody that might, you know, listen to Job or Cephalic and hasn't heard Havoc, you know, it's, 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 it's that old school thrash sort of, you know, Tom Araiah, um, more of like a yell than yeah. a scream, really. Um, so that would be the, the main sonically difference. And then um, uh, probably I would say like a um, stylistically um, less, di uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's more stylistically focused. Gotcha. Uh, whereas Job, um, you can kind of range out into a, some, you know, kind of Gorgutsy sounding stuff or like behemothy kind of sounding stuff or until it's kind of like, or some meatball riffs or some banana riffs as we call them or, you know, tech, technical type of stuff. Um, and Cephalic will play anything from, you know, uh, you know, clean guitar jazz interludes to stoner riffs to whatever. Like these are, you know, with Havoc, it's like thrash riffs, yeah. you know? Um, and so, um, and f probably overall faster, you know, with the other bands, like we'll, we'll play with the tempo a lot and get into slower stuff and Havoc's just fast all yeah. the time. Yeah. So now what kind of music did you grow up listening to? Oh man, I love everything. I, you know, when I was a, a young, young kid, I, uh, my parents had a pretty eclectic taste, pretty diverse musical taste. So anything from like, you know, um, uh, I would say like, uh, Led Zeppelin, mom's a huge Led Zeppelin fan, um, to like Gino Vanelli, um, Phil Collins, Genesis, Stevie Nicks, all that kind of stuff is sort of what I was raised on. Yeah. And then as I got into my own music, as I started really developing a love for music and buying, buying CDs and that kind of stuff, um, that's when I got into like, uh, Guns N' Roses, um, Metallica, um, 
and then the whole Seattle kind of thing. Yeah, Alice yeah. in Chains, uh, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots. And back then, I just called everything alternative. I thought Metallica was alternative. <laughs> right. Pantera was alternative. I, it was just the alternative to... What you had been listening right. to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and then, I, you know, I really love jazz. Um, I really love... Um, like uh, I, I'm not really what you would call it, but it's like sort of chilled out, down tempo, um, elect, uh, electronica. Like uh, I don't even know if you could really call it that, but like bands like Zero Seven, Air, stuff like that. Super, super chill stuff. That's like the opposite of metal. Gotcha. Especially on the road, you know, because yeah. you're hearing five hours of metal a night. You know, <laughs> right. Don't you really mix wanna, it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, one thing you had mentioned in one of the videos I watched online is that um, uh, you had been listening to a Mudvayne track mm. and kind of heard the bass sort of on the front of the mix. Mm-hmm. And so w- when did bass become a lead instrument, I guess, for lack of a better term? Because I think, to again, to a layperson, you picture the bass guy standing next to the drummer, just sure. noodling away, and you don't really even hear it so much. But it seems like more contemporary, particularly in the metal genre. Yeah, it's like, man, you can the bass is in the mix now. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and what has caused that that transition? Or I don't know. That's kind of a lame question, but no, no, that's a great question. No, I like that a lot, um, and it's pretty pertinent to me, I think, as a player too, because. Um, you know, just growing up and when you become a fan of music, you know, I, I think there's something in everybody that, you know, you want to express that love somehow. And, and for some people, they're like, I, I want to do that. I want to make that noise. I want to do that, you know. And um, I think that, you know, there's bands like, um, I think it looked like a band like Iron Maiden um, or even in like a lot of the funk bands um, where the bass is sort of the forefront so specifically towards the metal side of things I think that um, you know guys like uh, Cliff Burton yeah um, you know definitely Steve Harris from Iron Maiden yeah um, Geezer Butler and then towards the heavier side of things like Steve DiGiorgio um, with the, like the, the uh, Death Human and, and uh, Yogun from uh, Pestilence those guys where you're like you put on the record and you know it's obvious that they want you to be paying attention to what the bass player is doing because it's not just kick back and and hold the the rhythm down like there is a really unique melodic voice to the timbre of the instrument if if you allow it you know if you write it that way and then if everybody in the band is okay with and the producer and everybody's okay with it being at the forefront um but for me, you know, for me personally, it was, you know, it's definitely Ryan Martini um, from Mudvayne, you know, who just, yeah. you know, when I heard like that particular tone of that particular bass guitar, the Warwick bass guitars, yeah, yeah. Um, put up in the mix and, and everything sort of not necessarily written around it because he, you know, I'm pretty good friends with him now and you know he's like we didn't it, we didn't do it like that it's, yeah. you know I, I never wanted to be like hey look at me i'm the <laughs> right. lead i'm the lead thing yeah. it just sort of happened yeah and um we kind of fit the tone of what they were trying to accomplish exactly. and that sort of thing yeah exactly it just provides this sort of um just a whole different mood and a whole different type of heaviness to yeah. it and it just really attracted me to it and you know because i was i was a guitar player before that right know? right and um and that made you know that's what made me switch i was like ooh. So the relationship you've got with Warwick, um, mm. again, I saw a couple of videos online. Cool. W- w- what does that mean for you? I mean, is that sort of a vindication is too strong of a word, but does that sort of like legitimize that, hey, I'm I'm a real dude in this scene yeah, or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I'm just so grateful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's sort of um, sort of surreal. Yeah. You know, um, to, to know that specific, because I specifically, f- you know, was like, what kind of bass is, is that? 
on that on that Mudvayne record. Yeah. And and then you look up Warwick and you're like, oh man, this company's amazing and they're, <laughs> right. but they're really expensive and all that kind of stuff. And you know, it's sort of one of those dreams is go oh, maybe get an endorsement, get you know, get those bases. Yeah. But um, so then to have it actually kind of come into fruition is 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 really sort of surreal. But I just try to always come back to gratitude for it and and not just you know gratitude but try to reciprocate yeah um and that's why i I try to be um really adamant about um sort of being proactive as an endorser not just like you know i get the stuff and then cool that's it you know and i play my shows and that's it which is sort of i guess the basic basic uh agreement that you make as an endorser is i'll play exclusively your stuff right right um but i like to uh, you know they go above and beyond for me you know like I, I really think that they've done almost more for my career than uh as a, as a bassist or as a musician than than my bands have and it's sort of like a you know um chicken chicken or the egg type of I question because i need, same thing. Yeah. need to have the bands in order to get have warwick be okay with you know yeah. um, providing uh the instruments for me but um i mean man i mean like i do you know I, i've got like three or four things a year like planned and scheduled to specifically go do for Warwick that they bring me out and yeah. do all this stuff and the people that the the peer group that I've gotten to um, I guess sort of get assimilated into is is you know the biggest names in in music yeah which is just it was crazy I mean I'll be sitting there at like a NAM signing and there's like a discography from somewhere to the tune of like six thousand records you know I mean like guys like Lee Sklar that you know played on on Phil Collins, you right, know, right. Uh, uh, records and still tour with Phil Collins to this day. And, um, guys that play with Aretha Franklin and guys that, um, you know, play in Metallica or Alice in Chains or, you know, just like these massive bands. <laughs> right. And I'm just like sitting at dinner talking with these people like, how the f- did I get <laughs> here? <laughs> I don't know what I did. I'm like not- someone's going to ask for ID. Like, dude, we got to get you out of yeah, here. You're at the wrong event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Messed up and did something right. But, but so, yeah, so I try to, to, to really reciprocate that, you know, and just and, and come from a place of gratitude and try to, you know, make YouTube videos to yeah. showcase the instrument. And it's, it's for me personally, too, to, you know, get that side of expression out. But, um, yeah, I'm just just super grateful to be, to be able to have that relationship. Yeah, you know well, I mean? and it feels like that kind of mentality is it kind of ties into what, what I perceive as sort of the metal genres that I've heard a lot of guys say, look, I'm going to do this whether I get whether I'm doing it at the Black Sheep or whether I'm doing it at the Pepsi Center. Right. And it's the same with Warwick. It's like, well, I'm playing them anyway. Right. So this is just gravy, the fact that they're like, hey, Nick, this is really cool, man. Do you want to come play yeah. for us now or whatever? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think a big part of it um, for them is is that they have recognized how maybe it's just basically like the nature of the way that they, uh, of the timbre of their instrument and the tone and the way that they created it, but that their, their instruments work so well in a metal setting, in a metal context to do that, to bring the bass player to the forefront, even if you are just, you know, kind of holding down the rhythm and you're not doing flashy stuff, but to have that, that sort of, um, growl, that presence that uh, there. And, uh, so I think that, um, you know, them embracing, um, metal, uh, as an equal opportunity for uh, getting their bases out into the world, and you know, matter of fact, I mean, I I, I really truly personally think that, um, and I've talked to uh, numerous people about this, that you know, um, specifically Ryan, you know, and the, and the whole Mudvayne thing, yeah, like spawned this whole genre, uh, not necessarily genre, but a whole generation of players, like specifically to be like, oh how can I be that sound? How can I, how can I be that tone? And so I think that the company sort of has embraced that and they're like, you know, and so they treat their metal players 
as equals with you know the big 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 pop guys right right um, which I think is is really benefited them you know well I mean particularly since metal typically doesn't get the exposure that the pop music gets exactly I mean you you had mentioned you wanted to be your goal is to be a full-time musician. Right. And it sounds like in order to do that, you've got to be on the road. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. And, that, and to me, that's the big difference between metal and pop is you can release Taylor Swift wouldn't have to tour exactly. ever. Exactly. And she's going to be just fine. Yep. <laughs> but totally you guys true. have to go out and, you know, yep. hit, hit the clubs and do all that kind that's of stuff. That's 100% accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, with Cephalic and Havoc, both are Denver-based bands. Right. So how would you describe the Colorado... Not not only metal scene but music scene. Sure. And how is that relative to what you've seen other parts of the country in terms of you know the the group of guys that you run into? Sure. Yeah. Um, Colorado is, is is very quickly becoming, an, um, I think, a major player in the national scene. Um, I know there's been some bands. I cannot remember the name of the band that was. I think they're from the Springs. Um, I want to say it was Nevermore, but I don't think that's right. Um, but anyways, you know, you look back in, at Colorado's history, I guess, in the last 30 years, the bands that have come out of Colorado, and it's only really been in, like, the last, I think, 10 years that you heard big names like, you know, like The Fray right, or right. Um, what was that other one? I Love 45 or One Republic. Yep, yep. Um, those types of bigger acts coming out. But um, but I think metal is sort of, you know, Cephala came out and, uh, man, they've been playing shows since 92, but they really kind of broke out um, around the millennium. And um, I think that then you see, see bands like um, like Allegion is another uh, uh, metal blade band from Fort Collins, and they're they're on the national scene. Oh sure, yeah. yeah. And then you've got and then Havoc's breaking out, um, has is broke out, <laughs> and they're coming out. And then there's a band called uh, Call of the Void. There's another band called Primitive Man, and they're all on you know um, internationally distributed, you know international tours. You know it's sort of like it's becoming a, a real place, and, and you're starting to see. Even tours like Summer Slaughter starting in Denver, yeah, uh, or tours ending in Denver. King Diamond started in Denver the other night, um, or um, or tours are, are ending in Denver as well. Um, so it's starting to become. I think it's it plays into the part of you know its location in the country, right? Um, right. You know, because if say if you have an international banner, you know, usually a lot of these tours you get bands from all over the country. Well, if you start on one of the coasts, the bands from the other coasts are screwed, you know, because they gotta a 40 hour drive to start <laughs> right. the tour. You know what I mean? So I think maybe having or ending in the, uh, having the start or the end of a tour be in the central center of the country sort of makes it equidistant for everybody to get, get back, right, get right. back home. Um, and the scene here is growing so well. I mean, like you see, um, what was it? Riot Fest. Oh, right. It yeah. was packed this year. I mean, it was huge, you know, massive acts like, um, you know, System of a Down and um, Cypress Hill and, and, um, you know, the whole indie side of things just being, you know, like it's, it's becoming like a national, um, point of interest yeah. for, for the, for the music scene. So I think it's great because then, you know, once you get the nationals there, then there's always going to be room for the, for the local bands to, to open up the shows. And then in order for the lo uh, local bands to open up the shows, the promoters need to know who can, who, who has a draw. And so right. that naturally like creates uh, a local scene because there'll be local shows and then see who, who's got the draw out of those people. And so I think it's, it's, it's a really exciting time to be a musician in Colorado at, at any level. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Now, what do you think, and this is sort of a loaded, lame question, but what, what would you say are misconceptions about heavy metal or death metal or thrash or whatever it might be? So from the outside looking in, hearing what we're hearing now in sure. Soundcheck, yeah. you know, what, what, are, what are some of the misconceptions about this type of music? Um, I, would I would say probably definitely... Um 
the first one I think you would get from most people is, you know, why are they so angry? You know, <laughs> right. why are you yelling at me? Yeah. You know, um, And I think that that is sort of a misconception in the aspect of it. And maybe that person isn't necessarily personally angry at y- you for listening to the song, yeah. but just that, um, you know, that there is um, an element to the music that sort of transcends anger. Um, and I would think that it would, for me as a kid growing up and stuff, it was just, it was, the energy, you know, there was, it was so, it was powerful. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just like, there was nothing that you could throw on that would just like hit you in the face and like, you know, charge you up like a, like a, you know, like a jolt of energy and like make you want to jump off your couch (laughs) onto some mattresses on the floor with your cousins until three in the morning, you know, pissing off your neighbors type of thing. With the tennis racket. Yeah. (laughs) And not, so not necessarily any type of like malicious energy. It was just sort of like a, like a powerful thing. I think that gets sort of misinterpreted as, 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 um, you know, youthful angst or something like that. And maybe there is some subconscious tie to that, but I think everybody, you know, if somebody were to be able to get into it and get past maybe the abrasiveness of the vocals, um, that to hear the precision, the technicality, um, and, and the, the sort of raw power, the double kick drums and everything's on 11 and to feel that, I think that more people could get into it, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think it's one of those, uh, those genres that, once it's in your system, because I grew up listening to you know Slayer and Metallica yeah. and Motley Crue and Guns yep. and all that stuff, and clearly I haven't grown out of that because I <laughs> love hanging out here with you know young guys like you that Hell are yeah. you know sort of kind of keeping that that momentum going forward because I think every every generation whatever music that is people are like it's not going to last right but here we are you know going back to Sabbath until Havoc yep and, and it's still going yeah and, yeah and to me there is that that. You know that energy yeah. that you know you can't you can't deny that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's it's funny too because then as you're seeing bands like, man, we just saw the Scorpions the other night, and I don't even know how long those guys have been playing. I want to say I know I saw them in '87. Okay, so <laughs> 2007 would have been 30. Yeah. So 2017 is only two years away. So Ugh. almost four, probably 40 something years, what and the they're hell? still sound amazing, yeah. and they're still able to produce that energy, and you know guys that are you know heading into their 70s are able to still to do this yeah. and do it at that level and then everybody that was you know involved in it when the, it was first coming out still has all that that same like sort of feeling that comes with it it's, it's pretty powerful i think it's pretty cool you know and um i think that uh you know especially even like sabbath you know look at a band like that we're actually gonna be playing with those guys no way yeah it's a you know it's Hellfest, so there's you know a thousand bands on it. Not a thousand, probably like 40. I'm going to edit like that. that part out. All I'm going to put is <laughs> Havoc is playing with Sabbath. Yeah. That's all yeah, you need to hear. Yeah, so. hell yeah. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Oh, dude. that's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, Nick, man, I appreciate you taking time out. It was a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, um, you too, man. So one last quick question. What are you looking forward to, you know, kind of into the end of the year and, and heading into 2016? And sure. Not yeah. only with Havoc, but with you personally and with the other 30 projects you've got cooking. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, uh, I have some stuff in the works. I uh, got a, a, a sort of a, a two-base project project that i'm really stoked on it's gonna be really cool two basses drums maybe vocals not sure but no regular guitars but i sort of have this weirdo kind of bass that i play like a guitar kind of um that's gonna be really cool looking forward to that don't have a name or anything yet but um but then um havoc wise we have um a really really cool tour coming up here in the next couple months that is with i can't announce it yet but it's with a band that like i grew up listening to and it's going to be crazy to be on the same bill as. So that's going to be really, really cool. That's going to be a long tour, too. I think it's going to be like seven weeks. And then um, Havoc, we're doing a bunch of really cool Eurofests this year, doing Hellfest. Um, we're doing uh, 
uh, I think it's called Tusca Open Air. I think that one's gonna be sweet. And then um, doing some st- job for Cowboy is is gonna be coming out of day job land. I think and doing nice. some really really cool stuff. Um, and then it's Fall Carnage record. Hopefully we'll get to record before the end of the year. Um, recording the new Havoc record uh, as well. So it's gonna be a busy <laughs> busy year. I got I got a ton of shit to do. Nice. Yeah, I'm stoked on it. It's gonna be great, man. Excellent. Well, uh, Nick Shenjelis. Damn, that was great pronunciation. Pleasure meeting you, my friend. <laughs> dude, thanks All so right, much, man. All right, enjoy. Hell yeah, thank you, dude. That was All awesome. Right. That was terrific. Yeah, that was really cool. So there you have it, Nick Shangelis, uh, clearly one of the hardest working bass players in metal. Uh, Nick is a really cool guy, and I had a great time chatting with him before Havoc's headlining set at the Black Sheep here in town. My sincere thanks to Nick for making the time to be on the show. Thank you to Jeremy and the great folks at the Black Sheep for their continued support, and thank you for listening to In the Springs. You can find the In the Springs podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also follow In the Springs on Twitter at RPL underscore Metajunk. Until next time, I'm Ryan Lowry, and we'll see you again right here in the Springs. (laughs) 